Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. Today we are joined by Dr. Arthur Bud Burnett. Dr. Burnett is a board-certified urologist practicing at Johns Hopkins Hospital System in Baltimore. Dr. Burnett's long career um, allowed him to be involved in research leading to the development of medications for erectile dysfunction. He is considered an expert in men's sexual health, and we are happy to have him join us today. Dr. Burnett recently published a book titled Manhood Rx, talking about some of the important aspects of men's sexual health that are often overlooked or misunderstood. So, Dr. Burnett, thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. My delight. So, Dr. Burnett, you have seen many men for sexual health issues over the years. Can you, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about your career? Sure. Well, I'm a urologic surgeon, uh, and... Uh, uh, this refers to uh, a, a medical doctor who specializes in the uh, area of the urinary tract uh, and uh, the male sexual organs, although we do see some women too now, so I want to be deferential uh, to, to women as well. Uh, but uh, the commonly in males uh, with uh, urinary tract and, and reproductive tract disorders come our way. And this has been my career professionally. Uh, I've been here at Johns Hopkins now since medical school, almost 40 years, uh, and uh, was able to uh, get, carry out the urologic training and then come on faculty. And I've had a career as a, a surgeon scientist involved in uh, discoveries surrounding uh, the, the uh, urologic field, uh, but also um, a, a clinical practitioner and surgeon. Okay, so both both the 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 scientific side as well as the clinical side. So you come with a wealth of of knowledge and information, plus 40 years in practice. So it'd be fair to say that you have seen a lot of men for sexual health concerns. I have seen a lot of men with sexual health concerns, absolutely. So can you tell us just a little bit about, maybe give us an overview of, of uh, your newest book? Well, certainly. Uh, the Manhood Rx uh, is the title. Uh, manhood uh, being uh, a, a kind of euphemistic term for uh, the male uh, genital organ. Uh, uh, I certainly want to avoid anything that sounds more slang than that. Uh, but Rx, meaning it's uh, from, from a position, almost as a way of uh, evaluating and offering advice here uh, with regard to male sexual health concerns. Uh, so uh, that's where the book is coming from. It acknowledges that uh, male sexual health is uh, really a significant part of our overall general health, mm-hmm. uh, a bit of a taboo subject. And... Uh, uh, with my background uh, and uh, uh, knowledge in the area, I, I wanted to put together a book uh, whereby this knowledge can be put out there and um, empower patients and maybe even medical professionals alike to have this as a resource as they deal with uh, issues uh, confronting men about their sexual health. Yeah, that is fantastic. So um, to get us started, um, we want to kind of lean on your expertise so we can we can really um, you know bring some some you know, powerful insights to our listeners. So I want to start with, um, you know, the first, the first line of treatment when it comes to any sexual dysfunction or sexual issue is um, speaking to a doctor. 
And one of the biggest challenges is getting men to come forward and do that. Wondering, you know, in your opinion, why it is that there's so much avoidance or so much hesitation to talk with a doctor about a sexual health issue or challenge? Well, you know, I think that uh, uh, given my experience, uh, many men are apprehensive about the subject matter. Now, we know men in general don't like to talk about their health. <laughs> they, they miss appointments, don't even make uh, doctor appointments sometimes. But then you're talking about sexual health and sexual prowess. I think they much rather have that conversation in the locker room uh, with uh, uh, maybe a less than honest discussion than to actually come into a doctor's office uh, and deal with it. So it's a taboo subject, a subject that uh, people don't want to talk about, yet perhaps it's a subject people really want to understand. And so that's basically where this comes from. I think this has been an experience uh, that many of us in the sexual health field have, have observed. Now, generally speaking, in in the healthcare industry, it, there also seems to be a, a phenomenon that men tend to avoid doctors in general. A lot of times, urologist or a sexual health issue is actually what will force a man to have to go and talk with a doctor when it gets bad enough. Um, what do you think that general trend is due to? Certainly, I think there is a trend, uh, but I think the other phenomenon that I think we're all observing is is the fact that men will look for their alternatives, uh, alternative therapies, herbal supplements, and witness now online uh, 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 kind of opportunities. I won't call out names unless you feel it's appropriate to do so. But, I think uh, our uh, listeners are probably aware of you know, <laughs> what offerings there are online and access to various medications and whatnot. Exactly. exactly. Yes. And so they much rather try, men would much rather try to stay anonymous and just pursue these avenues uh, then actually uh, pursue a true doctor appointment and get a complete evaluation. Uh, maybe they want to be discreet. Maybe they just don't want to admit uh, what's going on. Maybe they're embarrassed. Uh, maybe they just want to handle one aspect of it, but not really want to know uh, what might be connected with having a sexual dysfunction. I'm sure we'll get into this in a moment about how having a sexual dysfunction may actually be an indicator of other health conditions and mm -hmm. then may, may want to be a bit of a denier about so all of these may be factors in all of this, but certainly we observe out there that uh, men uh, are seeking help many times, but they want to do it in ways that don't necessarily involve going to a, to a, a physician for a proper evaluation. Yeah. Now, um, I, I have heard from some men that I've worked with that they do go to the doctor for general health, but they didn't feel like their treating physician would really be open to the conversation or they really worry that they would be judged if they brought up a sexual dysfunction issue. Can you tell me a little bit more from the medical side, from the doctor's perspective about having these conversations about sexual function, uh, sometimes about sexual behavior. Is this something that the medical community is comfortable talking about? Is this something that remains a taboo even on the provider side as well? You touch on a very important uh, factor here, um, that the provider side may also be a bit of a barrier. Uh, and I think that um, uh, indeed a, a patient may perceive that their healthcare provider uh, uh, may not be receptive to a concern uh, that 
their healthcare provider also may have some hangups, if you will, uh, with regard to sexual matters. Maybe they try to uh, explore uh, a, a, some attention for this and their health provider dismissed it. I have had patients who tell me that they brought it up just to get a prescription of one of the available uh, FDA-approved oral medications, and they're told, oh, we don't talk about that. Go find your urologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that kind of, unfortunately, that, that dismissive attitude, I think, is also not very helpful for patients who are, are seeking care. So this does happen, uh, and I think this, again, reflects that the, the physicians were human beings, but some of us may also be very uncomfortable talking about these subject matters. Absolutely. So, Dr. Burnett, in in your experience, what are some of the most common misconceptions about men's sexual health that that you've encountered? Well, there are numerous misconceptions, uh, certainly uh, promoted by locker room talk and various kinds of men's magazines, uh, 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 exaggerations, if you will. Um, uh, the um, uh, exaggerations uh, pertain to uh, prowess in some way, uh, having the ability to carry on with the sexual activity uh, with extended amounts of time, having a need for a sexual organ that's beyond the normal dimensions that we know of of, of a male's uh, sexual organ. Um, uh, all of these sorts of things, and I'm sure all of us can think of these kinds of things that surround these these kinds of misconceptions. Uh, also, I think maybe, maybe there's a misconception about how well men should be performing. Uh, and 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 what the anatomical uh, features they should have. So really, I think largely it has to do with uh, much of much of that kind of discussion. Okay. And and what are some of the most prevalent misconceptions about erectile dysfunction and erections? Could you speak to those in particular? Sure. I mean, there's there's the idea that uh, uh, having erections uh, uh, should enable a person to perform sexually, let's say, let's say for hours at a time. Uh, that uh, somebody should always be functional uh, instantly, uh, that uh, uh, you know, certain uh, uh, abilities should be there for all men, irrespective of age or illness or what have you. Um, and so I think these kinds of misconceptions, again, having to do with uh, notions of, of how men should be able to perform uh, almost in, in a superhuman uh, kind of way is, is uh where, where we have, uh, I think, there may be some misunderstanding. Also, is the idea surrounding uh, the youthfulness of men uh, and you know, how their hormones should allow them to be as functional. And, and, and even this leads to where we're going with therapies that, you know, that should make them uh, perform uh, almost automatically back in their 20s. Many men, even as they get older, somehow have the notion that uh, I'm, I'm dysfunctional or that functional and the wife is sitting on the side, they're kind of shaking the head like, oh, that's not how it really is. So I think we all maybe think we're greater performers than we may uh, truly, truly be. We, we, we misstate or exaggerate our performance ability. Yeah. Now, over your 40-year career, there's been a lot of changes to our world. And one of those is, is obviously the advent of the internet. And I, I think that has served a number of interesting roles, potentially. So one of them is bringing awareness to conditions like erectile dysfunction, just how common um, this condition is. And at the same time, the internet has also um, been a major catalyst of misinformation about all sorts of things. So in from your perspective, having watched 
how the field or 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 just the culture around sexual dysfunction like like erectile dysfunction have changed would you say that stigma and misinformation are increasing are they decreasing or have they stayed largely the same wow that's a great thought here you know there's no doubt the internet has had some impact um and it can be a source of misinformation uh, uh that that in part is one of the reasons i put together this book uh, that i wanted to provide a really a much more authoritative and reliable source of information when somebody really is a physician the unfortunate thing is a lot of information on the internet uh, is produced by those who are not, not really credible don't have the background they're not either trained or scientifically knowledgeable about what they're putting out there and i think that's very unfortunate uh, i think it's also a possibility that even those who may be physicians are putting out information, but they're not necessarily specializing in the field that they can be talking about things, and and so uh, and, and sexual health matters and that sort of thing. So, so really, I do think that there's a, a high prevalence of this. Uh, I think there is good information, but it's hard for the general consumer to, to distinguish uh, yeah. what's 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 reliable information out there, and that's where the problem arises. So, I do think that there is a prevalence out there. Maybe it's worsening. Uh, because there is such accessible information that can be put out by those who are not necessarily the authority. Yeah. And and when it comes to stigma, um, I'm curious if you're seeing the opposite phenomenon. That, you know, I think one of the um, one of the interesting things about the Internet is that it is allowed for people who have certain experiences to be able to connect with others who are like them. In other words, it, it has helped to alleviate a sense of isolation for a lot of people, um, certainly with erectile dysfunction, I think that we have seen a uh, increase in younger people coming forward and reporting this and talking about it. So have you noticed just in terms of the patient population that there may be a decrease in stigma, let's say in 2022, relative to 1992? Yeah, I, I would agree um, that there is a, a kind of a, a lessening of the stigma, stigma associated with sexual dysfunction. I think uh, in general, we're a little bit more open and public about uh, 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 these matters. Uh, uh, I, I do think that this has been an important advance that we are kind of minimizing the, the or lessening at least the taboo uh, and just trying to be a little more forthright about uh, the, the, this being a concern. Now, that still doesn't mean that things are always accurately handled out there. There's still a lot of misinformation. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I think the uh, advent of oral erectile dysfunction medications, uh, more awareness that sexual health is important uh, in terms of a quality of life matter and not necessarily just entirely focused on just you know, the, you know, the, the matters of health that are have to do with survival only. Uh, that. Uh, we are uh, recognizing the importance of these sort of subject matters in people's lives. And I think that's very, very important. Mm-hmm. Now, Dr. Brown, I'm wondering, what unique challenges do you see on the horizon? Now, we just spoke about the Internet, which really kind of changed um, you know, so much of our, of our lives and certainly has impacts on sexual medicine. Do you see anything on the horizon that might change things again? Well, you know, certainly on the horizon uh, yeah, is um, uh, innovations uh, that I think has stirred a lot of excitement. 
uh, newer therapies out there. I can mention these that include shockwave therapy, stem cell therapy, platelet-rich plasma. All these things, I think, do suggest that we still are moving forward in the field, thinking about how we can heal the penis, how we can have a more sustained improvement. All of the therapies to date, including the oral erectile dysfunction medications, largely are just temporary fixes. They just enable some performance, but don't really um, correct uh, erectile dysfunction. So I do think that the vision that I have had, and many of us who are specialists in the field, we do recognize that we do have strides still to make. We haven't solved this just because now we have oral erectile dysfunction medication. So, but at the same time, let me put out this remark, uh, that these uh, other ideas, while they seem to fit with what we think is the next level of, of advance that we have to make in the field, they still have to be carefully evaluated, uh, properly administered. I'm just concerned that patients uh, recognize that these are therapies that are still evolving, uh, that we still have to define their success and who best benefits from these therapies. And so these are the kind of considerations that I think we really responsibly need to bring to discussion. Yeah. Now, Dr. Burnett, as a, as a final question here, um, you know, I, I'm wondering how increasing lifespan, which I know for the first time in a number of years and in many, many years, actually decreased in the past couple of years, probably in part due to the pandemic. Um, but generally speaking, lifespan has been increasing, um, you know, decade over decade for quite some time. How does longer lifespan, how has that shaped and continue to shape the field of sexual medicine? Well, longer lifespan, I think, uh, has had impact, uh, whereby uh, we are now possibly getting past life-threatening uh, uh, health conditions. Uh, if you're surviving longer, we can control heart disease, diabetes, maybe even uh, control certain cancers, uh, such that, uh, again, it gets back to uh, we can sustain life and address other aspects that are maybe in the domain of quality of life enhancements and sexual health certainly is within that realm. So uh, to does me, that, I think that fits with that. Does that change the profile of the patient over time? In other words, um, you know, certainly the advent of oral medication, I think, has brought the notion of continued sexual activity later in life to the forefront. Um, but as people, as people live longer, are the expectations changing? Are the things that people are coming into the office for, uh, the requests that they have, the issues that they're presenting with, does that seem to change with people living you know, into their 80s and 90s? No. Well, I, I think I, I would use the quip that uh, what's the new 80? You know, what's the new 60? I mean, if what we thought was aged men at 60s now is still young men. I, I think I can speak to that myself. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, if we can live into our 80s and 90s and still have vigorous lives in terms of our, our recreational activities, our, our joy de vivre, if you will, uh, then let sexual health continue uh, by all means. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Ben, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Just, you know, I know you're you're probably a wealth of, of you know, knowledge and, and experience. There's probably so much more we could talk about. But are there any final thoughts that you want to leave men with? Um, especially because you know the book is is really you know intended to deliver accurate information in a world of tremendous amounts of misinformation. Is there any 
you know, important pieces that you think our listeners would benefit from from hearing from you about? Well, I think the, the main uh, thing that I would um, underscore, the main uh, concern, is that uh, let's recognize that man's sexual health is part of your general health. And believe it or not, how we perform within our bodies in a scientific manner does involve uh, basic uh, mechanisms and chemicals and body functions. Uh, so let's accept these things as natural, but also recognize that having sexual dysfunction may also be a, a harbinger or indicator of how your general health is proceeding. So, and particularly in the world of erectile dysfunction, uh, we recognize that uh, having erection difficulties may actually be a signal that you need to get your health checkups. And I want men to recognize that uh, having sexual dysfunction issues should be part of your broader general health uh, and seek attention and let's do it responsibly. That is that is really, really important. Dr. Burnett, thank you very much for joining us on this episode. Well, it's my delight. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.